Hello, and welcome to Ready and Newman's Daily Podcast, your go-to place for common questions about immigration to the United States. Ready and Newman is a team of experienced business immigration attorneys who handle a host of visa categories and complex immigration cases. This podcast will provide an insight into our daily free conference calls hosted by our attorneys, as well as discussions on hot immigration topics. Please note that information provided is not to be construed as legal advice for your specific situation and does not constitute an engagement with Ready & Newman PC or establish an attorney-client relationship. For specific advice on your situation, please contact an attorney. Here's your host. My name is Rebecca Chen, and I'll be doing the conference today. I'm a partner with Ready and Newman. Um, Shri, can you start our first question? Uh, hello. Hi. Go ahead. Uh, hi, Rebecca. So um, a quick background about uh, my situation. So um, I came to the U.S. for my master's in 2019 and uh, graduated in 2022. Um, I st- 2021, sorry. And I started working with an OPD, and from there, my company filed an H1 for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then the H1 got approved as well. And in September of 2022, I had to travel uh, to India on a family emergency, right? Mm-hmm. And in uh, you know during that time, I got my H1 stamped, so my H1 mm-hmm. is stamped right now. And uh, in Jan, I mean the the emergency did not pass yet. So uh, in Jan 2023, I'm, I you know I had to resign to my position while I was in India after my H1 got stamped. Okay. Right, and uh, I'm in India now. So I just have two questions for you. I mean, just two small questions. So the first one is, uh, is there a situation where I can ever come back to the U.S. again? Uh, and two, how can, I mean, where can I check online if my H1 is, you know, active, inactive? What, what is the status with the H1? Is there a place I can check there? It's not that easy to know the status of the H1. Um Basically, if the company revoked it, the USCIS online case status might say that it's been revoked. It might not. Um, the only way to kind of know for sure is if you submit a FOIA request, a Freedom of Information Act request, which you can do online, and you wouldn't really get like just a status update, but you'll get a copy of the I-129 form that the service center has on file and it should be stamped on there if the petition has been withdrawn or not. But the FOIA request could take several weeks. Mm -hmm. Um, Even if it was withdrawn though, it sounds like, so you did actually work for that company in H-1B status, right? Before you departed. Okay. Right. So So before I came back to my home country, I worked a little while on H-1B for the company. Yeah. So, um, even if the company has withdrawn the H-1B petition, you are considered counted in the cap. So if you can find any other H-1B or any other employer who has a job offer for you and is willing to file the H-1B application, they can do so. They don't have to go through the lottery again. They can file it at any time of year. They would request consular processing on the application. And once it is approved, you don't need to go to the consulate again for a new visa since you have a visa that's already valid until I assume 2025, um, the visa is not employer specific. I know it has an employer name on there, but you can use it with any valid H-1B approval notice, even if it's with a different company. So once the application is approved, which it could be in like two weeks, 
if they file in premium processing, you can take that approval notice and travel to the U.S. with your previous visa stamp, new approval notice, and start work with the new company. So, so when you say, uh, did I ever work in U.S. with H1? So the official start date on my H1 says, uh, you know, 10-1-2022. That's like uh, October 1st. Mm-hmm. But I had to travel before October 1st. When did you travel? September 23rd. So you left the country before the H-1B could take effect? Yes. Okay. But you did get the visa stamp while you were yes, employed sir. with that company. Okay. You oh, are yes, still considered correct. counted in the in the cap then. You're still considered okay. counted. You don't need to go through the lottery. Okay. So in order for me to uh, you know uh, come back to the US, all I need to do is find another job that will sponsor my current H-1. And then, uh, you, you know, transfer it to that company and, and generate a new H1 effectively yeah. and send it through post to India and get that and my old passport and be back. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. All right. All right, Rebecca. Thank Mohan? you so much. Everyone. Mohan? Yeah. Hi, Chen. Uh, good afternoon. Um, I'm a British citizen. I, you know, I came to US in June 2022, last year, on L1A visa. And um, uh, via Amazon, and my employer has filed my green card, and I got my EAD approved. But uh, there is an RFE for I-140, uh, which uh, Fragomin is helping me to submit the RFE response. While this is happening, uh, I have been laid off, uh, but I have still more time, like two three months more time, you know, with the company. Uh, I want to understand my GC is also pending for more than 180 days right now. So I want to understand, uh, uh, you know, options of can I join a new employer or can I file a new I-140 myself? Okay. Um, so even though you have been laid off at this time, it's are you still working for the company? Is it just yes. that your last date will be about three months from now, you said? Yeah. Okay. The company is still willing to respond to the I-140 right. RFP and support it for now. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, if they are willing to do that, I would try, of course, to get the RFE responded to as soon as possible. If it's not in premium processing, try to upgrade it to premium. Um, basically try to get the I-140 approved before you stop working for your current company. Um, as long as the I-140 is approved, like you said, since it's been more than 180 days that the I-485 has been pending, you can move to another company um, as long as it's the same or simu- similar occupation as the one before, as long as it's a manage- managerial or executive position with another company, it doesn't need to be in the same multinational organization. Um, then you can continue the I-485 through employment with that other company in a manager position. Um, I think you also asked about filing your own I-140, like in the EB-1A category, I assume? Yeah, this is just a worst case if my company, you know, let's say down the line in one month or two months, they may say, you know, okay, I'm not willing to support you and all. At this time, they are supporting, but in a worst case scenario, if they start supporting, stop supporting, I want to understand if there is any other option for me uh, because I have completed more than 180 days uh, with my GC pending. Yeah, if you do qualify for the EB1A classification and can get an I-140 approval in that category, you can transfer the underlying basis of the I-485 
to your new EB1A approval. Um, okay. But yeah, um, you would probably need to move on that pretty quickly to try to get it transferred before the company potentially withdraws the I-140. Hopefully even they you know won't be that quick to withdraw the I-140 um, if they're willing to help you with it now. Um, but yeah, they have would, confirmed. The HR has definitely confirmed they are not going to withdraw the I-140 at all yeah. uh, because a lot of people have been impacted. So mm -hmm. as a duty of care, you know, they are not willing to withdraw at all. Yeah, that's uh, good. Um, all I want to understand is can I start a new job now while the I-140 is pending? You can. Yeah, you don't have to wait. You technically don't need to wait for this current I-140 to be approved as long as you trust that the current company won't withdraw it once you leave. Okay. Yeah, if you trust them to keep it, you know, pending and still respond to the RFE, then it's fine to go ahead and switch over to another company now. Okay. I mean, sorry, last question is, can I file a new I-140 to be on the safe side, you know, would you recommend me filing my... Okay. Yeah, if you qualify. Mm -hmm. Okay. Thank you. Thank you, Sean. Sure. Hi. Um, Hi. Can, you hear, can you hear me? Yes. Okay. So my question is, I went for a student visa stamping in 2016, and I got a 214B refusal the first time. Okay. And then subsequently, the next couple of weeks, I uh, went for the visa interview again, and then I got a 221G, and later it got approved, and I'm in the US now. And okay. I, I graduated since then. I've been working um, for Microsoft for uh, as a full-time employee for five years, and I have not been to India for my first time H-1B stamping. Uh, so now I'm planning to go to India for my first time H-1B stamping, and I got eligible for Dropbox. So my question is, um, will I be asked to come to the consulate for an in-person interview considering the prior refusals, or does it not work like that? Um, not necessarily. Uh, if the um, you know, if the prior 214B refusal was something kind of standard, maybe you didn't have all the documentation in order for like the financial proof or um, not enough proof of ties to the home country, but obviously it got remedied since it was eventually approved. Um, as long as it was something kind of just document wise like that and not an issue of like fraud or misrepresentation mm -hmm. previously, which it sounds like it wasn't if they, if you were issued the visa eventually. Um, yeah, I wouldn't think that you are at any higher likelihood of being called in for an in-person interview. Even if you qualify for the Dropbox, the consulate can always call anyone mm -hmm. in for an in-person interview. Um, but I, I don't think the 214 um, refusal in the past necessarily makes you more likely to now. Okay. And uh, when I was filing my uh, consulate appointment was asking me a series of questions to determine my eligibility for Dropbox. And one of the questions was, was your prior visa interview resulted in you being issued a visa? And the most recent interview was the one where I got my 221G, which later got remediated. So the interview in itself didn't, uh, was resulting in a refusal, a 221G, but later it got approved. So is my answer yes to that question correct? Um. Yes, I would say so. It's kind of a gray area. You're right. Technically, a 221G is at first considered a refusal at that time, but it mm -hmm. was eventually re it was eventually issued. Like it wasn't that you withdrew and reapplied, right? Nope. Okay. Nope. It was yeah, just I think that answer okay. fine. Yeah. Okay. Perfect. Thank you so much. Sure.
Sure. Yamini, Yamini K. Kamesh. Hi. Um, hey, I have uh, two quick questions. So, so my uh, 485 was applied. Um, it was AB3 downgrade in 2020 and then AB2 upgrade. And then the 485J got approved. So now I'm joining a new employer uh, who's ready to do the 485J supplemental. So I just want to understand which for Y140 should I use there? Like, should I use the AB2 or the AB3? Uh, what is the ideal way to handle that? Uh, let's see. So it was initially filed in EB3, and then you did the J supplement to transfer the underlying basis to EB2? Correct. Okay. So, so that was the last kind of action taken on the... And I got approved. Yeah, and it got approved too, the 485 J supplement. You got an approval notice for the J yeah, supplement? Just a receipt yes. notice. Uh, approval notice. Okay. Uh, mm -hmm. That's kind of rare. Usually they don't send the approval notice for the J supplement until the I-485 is actually approved and issued. No, I got uh, the approval. The case moved to CRP. Case remains pending. Okay. Um, okay. Then I would assume that it's an EB-2. Um, mm -hmm. But for a new company to file the J supplement for AC-21 purposes, they're not required to make any particular mention of EB-2 or EB-3. Mm -hmm. They are just filling out information on the position that they have for you. So mm -hmm. that's all they need to do in that section of the J supplement is some information about the company, their address, number of employees, gross and net income, and then a description of the position that they are offering to you. But I believe there is a there is a field for I-140 uh, receipt number. Yes. So for that one, you should put, I guess, the uh, the one that's in EB2, since that's the one that it's been transferred to now. I see. So in, in future, if EB3 moves forward, that, that does that mean like I, I can downgrade again to EB3? You can potentially. Um, if the EB3 got approved, do you know, did the I-140 and EB3 get approved eventually? I-140 got approved, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Theoretically, unless UCIS changes something under the transfer of underlying basis, you can just file another J supplement in the future to move it from EB2 back to EB3. Mm, I see. Okay. And then another employer is asking me to join on C2C, corp to corp instead of W2, like, and asking me to do an LLC. Like, is that a, an issue for the 485? Yeah. So I would not do that unless you're going to do that on the side in addition to your full time employment. Um, so if you have an EAD based on the pending I-485, then mm -hmm. that can allow for doing multiple jobs, including um, contracting. But in order mm -hmm. for the I-485 to remain active under AC-21, you need to always have one full-time job offer in, or, in the same or similar position to mm -hmm. the I-140 position. And that job offer, that full-time job offer in the same or similar occupation needs to be direct employment a W-2 employment, not 1099. So okay. as long as you have at least one job offer like that, one full-time job, direct employment, same or similar mm -hmm. occupation, then if in addition to that, you do contracting or even start your own business on the side, that's fine. I see. Okay. Thank you. On EAD, as long as you have the EAD. Yeah, on EAD, yes. Okay. Thank you. Radha? Chandrapati? Radha? Um, just a reminder too to everyone that we have a Google um, sheet in the chat. If you have a question to ask, fill in your question there, and then it'll be kind of put in order um, for me to 
that's the order that we're calling on people. Sorry, okay. um, Shruti, was it? Oh, yeah. go ahead. Oh, sorry, I think you're muted again. The dog, Satan. Oh. Hey, Rebecca, how are you? I'm fine. So, Shri, are you going in the right order? Yes, Rebecca. Rebecca, in the Google Docs. Yeah, so uh, I have posted my question, but uh, Rebecca, do you want me to quickly narrate those? I have two quick questions. Uh, one is uh, my company will start my GC process in a few months. Uh, so I wanted to know that if they start in EB2, and uh, because I was a manager, but they are, uh, if they start my process in EB2, uh, and I am currently on L1B. So is it necessary for me to switch to H1B before my tenure ends for L1B, which is five years down the line? Or uh, Yeah, you know, how far are you into the five-year limit? I have completed one year. There are, There's okay. one extension which is pending, which is like I have four years and four chances to apply. So is it a compulsion for yeah. me? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I mean, if your country of birth is India, even if the I-140 is going to be approved soon, as you know, you won't be able to file the I-485 within mm -hmm. those five years. So at some point, you'll need to switch over to H-1B so okay. that you can get extensions based on the I-140. And if if uh, I, I was a manager in India uh, for three years, I was with this company for four years in India, and I was working on a manager role, I am again deputed here as a manager. I have a few reportees, but those are project reportees. So is it necessary if we go with EB1C route? Uh, do I need to have reportees from US entity or is it okay if we have some reportees under me from India entity? Because I have few from India. You mean in the US position right now, you don't have US reportees, you only have reportees from India? Yes, that's correct. So is it for EB1? It's EB1C? possible, but it's not as strong. If it can be kind of restructured so that you have direct reports in the U.S., that would be best. It can be a mix, but I don't think I've ever done one where the U.S. position's only managerial oversight was of people working remotely in India, because at that point, USCIS would be like, then, you know, why does its manager need to be here physically in the U.S. if all their direct reports are in overseas? Um, so it'd be stronger if it is both. It can be a mix. We've done that before. Um, I don't think I've done one before where all the direct reports were outside the U.S. Because I have a case where I have few reportees under me, uh, you know, while I'm managing a few different programs and projects. So that's why this was a question. So maybe I have, you know, one from U.S., but few other are from offshore teams. So, but, you know, as you said, it could be a mix. Mm -hmm. Okay. All right. Thanks. This was so. Thank you so much, Rebecca, for the answer. Sure. Charu Rajput. Hi. Um. Um. So I was on Owen Owen visa and I got laid off by my employer, and I am on sixty day grace period period right now. I just filed for B two visa, tourist visa. Okay. I was wondering, like, am I eligible for unemployment benefits? or not? Um, yes. So it's dependent on the kind of state by state rules. But if according to the state you're in, um, you're eligible for unemployment, then you can take unemployment benefits. It's not dependent on your immigration status. Okay. Okay. Thank you so much. Thanks. Sure. Yeah. Kim? 
Oh, hi, Rebecca. Um, um, I, my school, uh, failed, uh, like at school I worked, they failed H1B, um, as a counselor processing. Um, it's like the day before yesterday. Can I still change it to, um, uh, change of status? They already sent in the application to USCIS? Yes, they filed the application on Wednesday to the USCIS. Okay. Under premium processing. Um, okay, it's probably going to be pretty difficult at this point. Once it's already sent in, um, the only time that we have been able to convert something from consular processing to change of status or vice versa is if there's a request for evidence sent, then we can include the request to convert it in the RFE response. But if there's no RFE um, for your application, it will be pretty difficult. If it is in premium processing, um, then I would say you can try. It's not guaranteed to work, but for premium processing cases, you have the advantage of being able to email the premium processing unit, or at least the company or attorney can email the premium processing unit. Um, so once they get the receipt notice um, by email from the premium processing unit, the school or attorney can try emailing the premium processing unit and ask them, you know, this case number, we requested consular processing, is it possible to change it now to a change of status request and include the documents that would have been included because change of status will usually require like copies of your I-20s, your pay stubs if you're working, um, copy of your visa stamp, I-94, that sort of thing. Whereas for a consular processing case, we don't have to include any of that. So they can try emailing the premium processing unit, but it's not guaranteed it'll, it'll get matched up with the file. It is pretty hard when there's no RFE for requests like that to get matched up to the file. Got it. Um, have we, yeah. Have it felt like amended? Um, yes. So that's the other option. If this application just, if it doesn't work um, for them to convert it while it's pending, and it just gets approved in consular processing, um, what the employer can do is file an amendment application afterwards. They have to pay a new filing fee. Um, so the employer will need to be willing to do that, basically pay a new filing fee and submit a whole new application that does include the change of status request, but they can do that if um, it's not successful to convert this application. Okay, and I have the day one CPT like experience I went to the school who offered Devan CPT. And do you think under this um, situation, should FL, CP, or COS will have a better um, chance to get approved? Is that why the school filed in concert processing because of the day one CPT? No, because um, I was uh, terminated by the school, like the day one CPT school, and uh, I filed a reinstatement. Uh, at the time, they filed uh, H1B, my reinstatement didn't get approved yet. But after they failed it, my rings didn't get approved. So I got back to my student status. Um, it's still a little risky. So we know that UCIS in the past has sent RFEs on change of status requests where there has been day one CPT. Um, sometimes they do, sometimes they don't. Um, because if it's a school that UCIS is aware of, as far as in UCIS's opinion, it's not really authorized employment. You could get an RFE if you request a change of status and it may or may not be successful. Um, so yeah, it 
it's kind of a little risky always to ask for a change of status when you're on day one CPT. But we have had cases that have gone through without an RFE, some cases that get an RFE, some cases that overcome the RFE. It, yeah, as long as you're aware that there's a higher risk of an RFE or that the change of status might not be granted. Okay, and what about the consular processing? Is there risky as well? It depends on the consulate, but yes, we've had people be denied visas at the consulate on the basis of use of day one CPT as well. So it's... Yeah, if my home country is China, where should I go get a visa stamped? Should I go back to China or go to Mexico or Canada? Um, you can get the visa stamp anywhere. You're not required to get it in your home country. So wherever you are able to enter the country, so you might need to get a visitor visa to that country um, and where there's appointments. Yeah, which is easier to maybe get a successfully get a visa stamped? I can't really say. It's always just depends on the... Yeah, on the particular officer. Okay, sounds good. Thank you. Sure. Bharat? Hey, hi. Hi, hi Rebecca. Mm -hmm. This is Bharat. And uh, yeah, actually, I have a quick question. Like uh, last year, I got an H1 approved through the consular process. And uh, in the month of March, this year, March, I got a new client. So I asked my employer to uh, make an amendment so that okay. I can go to my home country and uh, take a visa stamping. And now he's saying that... Uh, uh, I couldn't make amendment and uh, I'm withdrawing your H1 application also right now. So uh, it's better you can take uh, day one CPT or uh, you can try something else. So what is the step I should take right now? Uh, so you never got the visa stamp or got, it, got no. the actual change of status in H1. So yeah. since last year, what has been your work authorization? It's STEMOPT right now. I'm in STEM oh, OPT okay. and next year, January, it's going to end my STEM OPT. Oh, dear. Okay. Is there any way the employer, has the employer already withdrawn the H-1B? No, he's saying right now he will do it and I'm having 60 days time. Okay. Is there any way that they would be willing to hold off on the termination and withdrawal until you can go get a visa stamp? All you need is basically just one day either the visa stamp from the consulate or one day in the U.S. in H-1B status. And that will make you be counted in the lottery so that you don't have to go through the lottery again. You can just do an H-1B transfer then to another company. Um, if, if your current employer is willing to help you out um, to basically keep the current petition valid long enough for you to go get a visa stamp, um, then that would be the best case scenario so that um, even if you can't um, continue with this company, mm -hmm. as long as you're genuinely working for the company at the time you go for visa stamping, um, okay. that's all that's needed for them to issue you the visa stamp. Then if you're let go after that, even if you're still in India or wherever you are at the time, like we said at the beginning, the first question, if there's another company willing to hire you, they can just file in consular processing, it can get approved in two weeks in premium, and then you can come back on that same visa stand. So oh, I like would try that. Next year visa, next year H1 time or right no, now I can? If you can get the visa stamp under this current H1B approval, mm -hmm. then you never need to go through the lottery again. The oh, okay. new company can file the transfer for you at any time of year. Oh, okay. 
So, uh, and the next question, do I need to make amendment compulsory because I've changed the client or? Uh... Is it a change of just the client or have, has your physical work location changed? Uh, it's remote. My previous also remote and this is also remote. So your so, physical work location has not changed? Yes. Okay, then I would say that, yeah, I would say that you can try getting the visa stamped without the without the amendment. Oh, okay. Yeah. I would at least try that because otherwise, if this H-1B gets withdrawn and you've never gotten the visa stamp, then yeah, then you're kind of out of and you have to go day. through the lottery again next year. Yeah. Oh. Then I should take day one CPT? Is that what I need to take? No. Okay. No. I mean, we don't recommend day one CPT because oh. of kind of what I discussed a moment ago that USCIS has issues with it. The consulate has issues with it. It's risky. So if you can get a genuine H-1B visa stamp while you're still employed with this company, that would be much more preferable. Um, I We never really recommend day one CPT if it can be avoided. Okay, Rebecca. And I, I today only I heard with my employer that uh, without uh, any, without asking me, they made a multiple H one last year. It seems I don't know that. Like two. Okay. Um. Yeah, that might be an issue, but um, I mean, so there now are I can go to good solutions right now. Or... I would say the only I would, if I were you, I would still try the visa stamping. You're right that there's a risk that it might get denied because um, if the consulate is aware by the, if, you know, this company has been flagged as a multiple registration filer, the consulate might not issue the visa, but then you're in the same situation anyway that you are now, like you're about to expire. Yes, Rebecca. Yeah, I'll try my best. I hope best goes on. Thank you so much, Rebecca. Sure. Hello. Uh, so I'm currently an H4 visa holder mm-hmm. and I'm transferring into F1, but um, I recently got married to a my spouse who currently holds hold a citizenship. So mm-hmm. I'm uh, confused on like where I should go from this. So I got my marriage certificate approved and mm-hmm. uh, now I know that there are some applications that me and my spouse have to fill out like I-130, 485, mm-hmm and the I-131, I wanted to know like the process of me getting an SSN and also uh, the process of me um, going with the GC. So I just wanted to know like that timeline. I'm also good with the premium premium route. Yeah, unfortunately there aren't really any premium processing options for the marriage-based green card application, Um, but you're right. So basically the, applications that you mentioned are what you would need to file. What you can do is file the I-130, I-485, I-765, and I-131 applications all at the same time. Also, there's another application called the I-864, which would be filed by your husband. Um, So all five of those applications can be submitted together. Um, Those are basically the applications that establish your marriage, um, the your spouse's financial ability to support you, plus your application for the actual green card, plus your applications for a work permit and travel permit, EAD and advanced parole, while you wait for the actual green card to be processed. Um, once you get the EAD, that's the work permit, you can apply for a social security number. Actually, the I-485 form has a section on it that 
asks um, if you want to apply for a social security number. Um, sorry, the I-765 also has a section that asks if you want to apply for a social security number as part of that application. So you can fill that in and you should get the social security number at the same time you get the EAD work permit, which would be, I would estimate about six months from the time that you file all those five applications. The actual green card may take like a year to possibly a year and a half to mm -hmm. um, be approved, um, depending on kind of where you are in the country, because each field office, local field office kind of has different processing times. Um, but the EAD is meant to give you work authorization while you wait for that 12 to 18 month process to finish. Got it. So um, none of this, like this cannot be supported with the premium um, route, right? Okay. okay. Yeah, unfortunately not. Yeah, thank you so much. You're welcome. Okay, sorry. Um, I do have another appointment now, so I'll need to close the conference here for today. Um, the next one will be Monday at 3.30 Central. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Ready and Newman Daily Podcast. We sincerely hope that you've taken something valuable out of it. Don't forget to subscribe and leave us a review. For more information or if you want to make an appointment, check out our websites, rnlawgroup.com and immigrationgirl.com. Have an awesome day.